Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. A little echoey, a little ominous. We good? Check, check. Okay. Sounds good. Well, uh, yes, my name is Chad Frontier, associate pastor here, if we've not met yet. Um, and uh, as Ryan said, we're in our study on the, the life of David, the character of David. And um, before we get to that, I got to share a little bit of a, a, a personal um, infatuation of mine. And I know I share it with a couple people is uh, this podcast, right? Um, not a Christian podcast, but educational, very educational. It's called uh, Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. And it's like these, there's a picture of it. It's, there it is. Uh, but, but it's like these almost grad level classes of like, the, I kid you not, the podcast episodes are about five to six hours. But they're, just, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I love is I see Britt right here and we were having lunch one time and I shared something and he goes, you listen to Hardcore History, don't you? Like, I, and no one even brought up the conversation. He just looked across the table. It's like, you've listened to that, haven't you? Uh, but, but I love it. And he just gets into great detail and, and, and pulls out uh, these historical, um, you know, stories and just makes them so alive. And he, he gives this, this illustration that he says, for a lot of ancient history, it's almost as if history was written in black and white, right? Who did what, where, and when? That's kind of it. You know, the army moved here, they conquered, and they moved on. That's it. But then he talks about, starting with the Greeks, we start to get almost like history in color. I see someone taking a picture of the screen. Best of luck to you. You tell me all about it when you, yeah, when you try that. I've been spreading the good news for a while, unsuccessfully. But, um, but so starting with the Greeks, we start to get like, almost like history in color, where we start hearing not just about the movements of the armies or something like that. We start hearing about uh, uh, actual individuals, leaders. We don't just hear that they, they fought or they won. We hear how they fought. We hear, you know, the, the bravery of someone. And, and we start to get this emotion, especially Alexander the Great. Uh, pretty sure he was, uh, you know, in control of what was being written about him because he looks fantastic in everything. But, but you start to get this, 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 this great detail and, and energy behind the history. It's not just in black and white. Well, if we were going to take that same illustration, I would say that much of the Old Testament is kind of like reading in black and white. There can be a lot of this. And you'll get some stories. I mean, take Abraham, for instance. For instance, You'll get some details of some conversations, but then there'll be 20 years before you hear of a conversation again. Great gaps. But if that's true, there's a couple characters that we start to get more. If you want to say Moses and Joshua are maybe uh, written in, in, in sepia, you know, a, li a little bit of depth to it, I would say David's the first character that we really get to see in color. David's the first character where the narratives are not just sharing details of who did what where. They reveal emotion. They reveal uh, his heart behind it. You really start to see more of a whole person. In addition, if we include the Psalms, which, which, which David wrote a lot of them, and, and, and you can see that they're being written as the narrative is going along, and a lot of them give us an introduction that says when they were written at a time in the narrative. It's almost like at that point watching in 3D, because you're, you're seeing the narrative, you're getting some emotion and, and some life out of that, but you're also getting to see uh, his personal prayers, his personal journey, uh, journal almost, of what he's feeling around the narrative. He's a very interesting and and a powerful character in this way, that we get such detail. And today we're looking at three chapters. We're walking through his whole life <clears throat> in one summer. And so that's a little bit quick. So we've been telling people, if you really want to dive into this yourself, please do so. You find his story in First and Second Samuel. 
Um, but we are going to be looking at three chapters today, 21, 22, and 23 of 1 Samuel. And I named this kind of corny, but I, I liked it. Fight, Fright, and Provision. Fight, Fright, and Provision. Fight, Fright. That sounds like a good band name. Someone could take that. That's okay. Um, fight, Flight, Fright, and Provision. Uh, let me open in prayer, and then we're going to get started with this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Lord, as we open your word, as we study a character that you say is a man after your own heart, I hope that we see why today. I hope we see the, the depth of his character as we peel open the layers of scripture and, and see the complexity and the depth of what's going on. Be with us, in Jesus' name, amen. So flight, fight, and provision. It's, it's, it's a weird couple of chapters, you know, um, we, we kind of assigned weeks, and I was doing this week, and as I started reading it, I see why Ryan gave me this week. It's, it's a weird one. It's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, he said, you go for this one. Next week's got some great, great stuff in there, though, yeah. But these chapters are interesting. There are a bunch of these little scattered stories of David on the run. If you remember last week, Ryan, Ryan led us to this point where Jonathan, Saul's own son and friend of David, warns David that, that Saul, the king, of Judah at the time, is trying to kill him. And we'll see in a second, it's not this great kingdom of Israel that you might think in its height. That, that's a little bit more of David and Solomon's reigns. Uh, they have a very small piece of, of Israel. They are surrounded on all sides. If you remember in the books of, of Joshua, they were meant to enter into land and clear the land, and they didn't fully. And one of the tribes that they did not conquer was the Philistines, which for pretty much the rest of the Old Testament, we, we see the Philistines continue uh, to be attacking and oppressing the Israelites, as we've been reading so far. So we see this being played out. He's on the run, and what we're going to find through chapters 21 through 23 are about eight stories. Actually, you can put this map up. Let me leave this up for a little bit. We'll see him visiting all of these places. Now, I'd encourage you to read this on your own. Uh, like I said, it's three chapters of all these quick stories. But what I want to do today, because I first read these stories, I first read 21 through 23 and said, wow, this is pretty awful. This, this is not uh, encouraging. This is sad. This is frightful as he's running. And it seems like worse things just keep happening every step of the way. But then what happened is, is I began to read the Psalms that were written at the same time as this. As he's on the run, he is writing some psalms, and what blew me away was seeing what's going on inside his head at this time. So I'm going to recap real quick, 21 through 23, but what we're going to spend the most time reading are his psalms, because that is, is what is, is just incredible about this. So a couple quick, quick hits about these stops right here. So what happens? As David first leaves, he first runs, he ends up at a place called Nob, N-O-B, and, and goes to the priest Ahimelech. And David asks for bread and for a sword. Ahimelech gives it to him, and David keeps on moving. This entire three chapters, he is not staying somewhere long. He's moving, he's moving. He keeps moving. Saul finds out through a man named Doag who was there and saw the whole conversation happen. Now, what happens is this high priest gets called in, and he says, I didn't know this guy was a fugitive. He's your son-in-law. He's the, like, the number two in command. He's the leader of your army. He asked for bread. I gave him bread. But Saul is so consumed with, with, with rage and with paranoia at this moment that he will not listen to anyone. 
And so he, he commands his soldiers to kill this priest, Ahimelech, and this priest's family and all the other priests who were at the temple at that time. And all, the priests, all of his soldiers refuse. It's interesting. Saul is in, is in charge by, 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 you know, by name only, by sheer power only. You can tell that he's already lost the respect of his soldiers when, when they all refuse. They know his command is, is absurd. But this same man, that this foreigner, a Moabite, not an Israelite, who, who witnessed uh, the priest giving David bread, is there, and he takes it upon himself. And he, he butchers these priests and their families. Word of this gets to David, and he claims responsibility. He takes responsibility for this. And one of Ahimelech's sons escapes, and David takes him uh, as his personal ward at this time. But David keeps moving. He goes to a place named Gath, which this once again is outside of Israel. They are surrounded on all sides. To uh, King Ashish, who recognizes him. So David walks into the town, and they recognize him, and they seize him. And this king says, this is David, the one, the one who will lead Israel one day. Well, David becomes terrified because this is an enemy king. So he says, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm a threat to this king, and he's going to kill me. Or word will spread that Saul would pay good money to get my head, and so I become this ransom, this high-level ransom. And so in the strange story, David, our hero, right, the great king, begins to act insane. He begins scratching on the walls and carving symbols in the walls. He begins drooling, says drool just in, into his beard. He, he, he acts this way, and the king says, maybe I've made a mistake. I don't need, he says literally, I don't need another madman in the city Get him out of here. And so, and so he's on the run again. He moves again. He goes again. He hides in a cave and is joined by about 400 people, including his family. Well, he knows he's a fugitive and his family's with him, so he initially tries to find safety for his family. He takes them to the king of Moab, once again, out of Israel, another king, king of Moab. A prophet there tells David that they will not be safe there, so he flees again constantly on the run. Saul's, Saul finds out, oh, sorry, as they're running, they're hiding in a forest, and they hear that the Philistines, this you know, great uh, enemy uh, and continuous enemy of the Israelites, as they're running, these fugitives, these 400 individuals, including Saul, uh, David's family, they find out that the Philistines are attacking a nearby city uh, called Kalah. They go and they defend the city. And after taking the city, it says, well, things might be looking up. He's the hero of this little town, they have big walls and gates, and maybe they'll, they'll protect him. God speaks to him and says, they won't. They're going to sell you out. When Saul shows up, and he does, they're going to sell you out. So David and his family and his men, they keep moving again. They run again. They end up in the wilderness of, of, of Ziph, and as soon as they get there, the Ziphites reach out to Saul and say, David's in our land. Come get him, and in fact, we'll help you. And so they're on the run again. And Saul at this point is close, and he's closing in, and he's pursuing him with his army. I want to read to you the last part of 23, that you just get this, this unending sense of this impeding doom coming on, onto David. In chapter 23, verse 24 through 29, if you want to follow in your own Bibles. It says, David and his men were in the wilderness of, of, of Moan, in the Arabah of the south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men went to search for him. When David was told, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. 
When Saul heard that, he pursued David into the wilderness of Moab. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side. I mean, that's how close they are. And you know they have scouts that are looking ahead. They know that they're there. It's cat and mouse chase going on right now. David was hurrying to get away from Saul while Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Remember, David's got his family. David has children with him. Saul has an army on horseback. They're closing in. Verse 27. Then a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines, once again, always there. The Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul stopped pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. So I'm I'm reading this, these three chapters, thanking Ryan for this this wonderful story that, that I was assigned. I'm reading these three chapters and saying, man, what justice is this? This is our chosen king, the one who is meant to lead the people in the way of God. This is the one that, you know, the, the man closest to God's own heart, and yet he cannot catch a break. Time and time again, it's this endless pursuit, and they're getting closer and closer and closer. And yeah, he's still alive in the end, but, but this doesn't sound comfortable. This doesn't sound the way that the king of God should be, you know, God's chosen king should be, should be handled pretending to be insane and rolling around on the floor and drooling in his beard just to survive? Taking bread from a temple and getting all the priests there killed? Saving a city just to find out that they appreciate it, but they'll sell you out as soon as Saul gets here. And then running, not knowing if he will be caught, if his family and himself would be killed. This is the life of our chosen one of their chosen one, this chosen king of Israel. Because we want to hear justice for our hero, right? And we know since the start of this, I mean, it's the, the series is, is on the life of David. You know that David's our hero. So we want to see justice for him. You might not believe this, but at one point I was the, the smallest of three brothers. And, um, and uh, I, I was in this similar situation of always wanting justice. You know, every time we would uh, wrestle... I, I would uh, not stand a chance, you know. Um, now, now I can take them, and that's good. <laughs> but I remember this moment. My, my oldest brother, Ryan, and his family are here from Hawaii visiting, and we were, we were talking about some of these stories, and, and we were talking about this moment when I got a, a taste of justice, um, or when Ryan got a taste of justice, you might say. As I said, I, I was the youngest, and this one time we were at this lake uh, called Nasiameno, and and I was probably about seventh grade or so, maybe eighth grade. Ryan was in college, and he was there with his college roommate. And uh, to go to the, the restroom, you just have to kind of walk up into the hills away from the lake. And so we were doing that. And uh, there, there's a bunch of just cows everywhere. And where there's cows, there's, there's dried up cow pies. And uh, we're walking around there, and, and Ryan and his college roommate start taking two sticks and trying to pick them up and kind of lob them at me. You know, we're, we're kind, of, kind of just... But imagine, imagine just trying two sticks, and you're not, you're not doing much, you know. So that's kind of going back and forth, and it's, it's fun. But once again, I've never won a fight against my brother at this point. And then I found a Pringles can. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the sport of high lie. It's like the big scoop that launches a ball like 200 miles an hour. That was the game changer that just happened. Uh, as I was able to use this Pringles can and, and whip it, and uh, they could hear these, these cow pies flying past their ears. Um, and they tried to fight for a while, you know, them with, with, their, with their sticks trying to lob it. Meanwhile, you know, 
100-mile-an-hour cow pies are flying at them, exploding on them. And, and, uh, and they end up turning and running down the hill. And, and I remember that still to this day, you know, grin ear to ear, just laughing so hard because I got justice for the first time. You know, I was, I, I was on top for the first time. And, and uh, I'm sure they, they, they punished me later for that. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that didn't last long. But this is what we want for David. Not a Pringles can, but we want justice. He's our hero, and we're reading this, and we want justice. And it seems like he is getting dragged along from horrible story to horrible story, constantly having his life threatened, being dragged along. We want justice, but it doesn't really seem to come, at least not in these stories of 21 through 23. But remember that David is a story that we get to, a character that we get to read in color. So what I want to do today, as I said, I kind of summarize those chapters in 1 Samuel. I want to spend some good time reading the Psalms that were written as he's running from place to place. Because what I said when I first read this, I said, well, that's a pretty terrible story of our champion getting abused over and over. But here's what's incredible about this, is that's not how David sees it. I'm going to read a couple of these Psalms. I first put them in the slides, and then I took them out because it looked overwhelming. It was a decent amount of text. Um, so if you want to, you can open your Bible and read along with me, but there's not one specific word or point that I'm trying to get you to understand. I just want you to experience where David's head is at. Because I finished reading that and I said, that's terrible. And yet I read and David doesn't see it that way. It, it, you know, you keep hearing about how he's the man after God's own heart and how he is the beloved of God. And I'm reading all that and, and sometimes I ask why, you know. After reading these psalms that were written at a time like that, I say, well, David is, he's different. He's different than I am. I wouldn't have viewed it this way. So I'm going to read these. If you want to, feel free to read with me. If not, feel free just to, just to listen and hear where his mind is at as he is running. We're going to start in Psalm 56. Most of these are pretty short, too. We're starting in Psalm 56. I'll give you a second if you want to, if you want to open your Bible. But once again, feel free just to sit and enjoy it. No assigned homework here, just listening. So this first psalm is, is written while he was being detained in Gath, the city that he later uh, fakes being insane at. But this is right when he first gets detained, when he's, when he's grabbed by, by the king's uh, uh, guards there. This is how he sees that. Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for people trample on me. All day long, foes oppress me. My enemies trample on me all day long for my fight against me, for many fight against me. O Most High, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they seek to injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. I'm sure he's talking about Saul at this moment as well. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they hoped to have my life. So repay them for their crime and wrath cast down on the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my ears, put, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will retreat in the day that I will call, in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose words I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, 
In God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? My vows to you I must perform, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling, so that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is how he interprets being arrested by someone who identifies him and by someone who has every motive to sell him back to Saul or kill him himself. Psalm 34, I want to read a couple verses out of that. And in some Bibles, it even tells you at the top uh, the, the original kind of instruction uh, to, be, to be given to the, the choir leader. It says, of David, Psalm 34, of David when he, when he feigned madness before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. So this is after he has escaped by pretending to be insane. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will sing praise. His praise shall continually be on, in my mouth. That's how he walked away from having to pretend to be insane to save his own skin. Is I will bless the Lord at all times. Not, God, you made me stoop that low just to save my life? I thought I was your chosen king. Why did you make me do that? That's that's how I would have read that. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's such an interesting one. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is good. You know, it, sometimes when we read the Psalms kind of while we're playing Bible roulette, you know, I should remember my Bible kind of opens to a random page. It's in the middle, it's the biggest. We end up in Psalms. And we read stuff like this, and it just sounds um, like it's all the same. It just kind of sounds like religious rhetoric, right? But when we understand where he was when he wrote this, what kind of a person would write that? I would not write that, right? <laughs> If I had to run and run and run and pretend to be insane and humiliate myself like that just to save my skin, I wouldn't turn around and say, God, thank you for my acting abilities that I was able to get out of that, right? I'd be happy that I had my life, but I wouldn't necessarily be instantly praising God. What kind of a person is like that, is always there? It's unreal. I can't imagine saying that. Two more Psalms I want to look at. Psalm 52. And then we're actually going to come back to that taste and see. It's, it's, it's a powerful one. Psalm 52. This is a little bit earlier in the story. This is after he heard of Doeg, that Moabite, who, who sold him out, that, he, that the priest had helped him. And the same Moabite who then turned and, and, and killed all the priests and their family himself. This is when David hears words as the last surviving son of that priest comes to him of what had happened, of what his taking of that bread caused. 52. You see at the top, it says, When Dog the Edomite, uh, Edomite, sorry, Edom, came to Saul and said, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Verse 1. Why do you boast, O mighty one? This is speaking to Ahimelech. Sorry, this is him speaking to, to uh, Doeg, the, the, the Edomite. 
He says, why do you boast, O mighty one, of mischief done against the godly? All day long you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor. You're a worker of treachery. You're a worker of treachery. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking truth. You love all the words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tents. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and laugh at the evildoer, saying, See the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like the green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever. He's speaking to God. I will thank you forever because, what, because of what you have done in the presence of the faithful. I will proclaim your name for its good. Once again, I would be <laughs> overcome with depression if I found out that a meal I took caused the lives of about 85 people. I wouldn't be turning to put pen to paper, to ask God for justice, but then at the same time, praise God somewhere in there. Who is this man, David, and how does he have this mindset? Last one, last psalm I want to read that's from this narrative is Psalm 57. And this is as, uh, as David is running, um, and he's hiding in a cave at this moment. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, and merciful to me for... For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storm passes, this destroying storm of Saul. I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send forth his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I lie down among lions that greedily devour human prey. Their teeth are spears and arrows, their tongues sharp swords. But be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They are a net. They set a net for my steps. Speaking once again of Saul and his pursuers. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path trying to trap me. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David's a unique character. Once again, I I don't think I could respond that way to hiding in a cave with my family, hoping that we survive. I don't know if I could have been brought to praise at a moment like that. And, And that's where I start to see what's so unique about David. I have this question I want us to consider. Do we have the awareness to see God's provision in the midst of our difficulties? Because I read the story, and I said, well, this is a story about flight and fright. It is a scary chase story, that's it. But then I read David's own notes and prayers and songs that he wrote in the midst of this, and he sees provision. He sees God leading him by the hand through all these trials. He doesn't seem to stop and say, hey, God, why do we have to do the trials at all? Why couldn't Saul have, you know, succumbed to some illness? And and there we go, that's it. Why does this even have to happen? But do we, 
have the awareness like David does to see, the, to see God's provision in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of even a personal injustice being done to us or ones we love, do you have the awareness to see God's hand at work during that? Now, I haven't given myself much credit in this, and I will say that often later I can turn around and see God's hand in it, right? That, that's common, you know? Um, all, all, all COVID, you know, when, when, when Ryan was saying, wow, you know, um, did everyone here, did we pour our heart and soul into, into trying to establish this community just to see it disappear over COVID? That's scary. But now I can see, oh my gosh, how, how did he lead us? How did he provide every step of the way? Which where now we, we have blended with hope and we're at this new home where we can put down roots and have a future. I mean, it's incredible. I see it now, but I didn't see it then. Do we have the awareness to see God's provision in the midst of our difficulties? I, I want to ask you real quick, consider trials you faced. Mike's not going around. No one's standing up. Don't worry. But, but just, I want you to have that on the forefront of your mind. Consider some of the trials that you have faced. Think about those. Over the past years, some of the difficult seasons and moments that you've gone through, did you turn to God in the midst of those? I, I hope so. Did you turn to God in prayer during that? Calling out for help and yet praising him for what provision he's still providing you along the way. We read in Psalm 34 that, that phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is, he is imploring us, as he's in a, a way worse situation than I've ever been in, he's telling me, Chad, Taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. And if he can taste and see at that moment that the Lord is good, then I'm sure I can in my moments. You know, that word taste is interesting. It's, um, it's not eat, right? It, it, it's something different. Actually, if you can put up this picture, this is, this is our dog. Um, that's, that, that's little one-year-old Zoe or less than, so excited that, that Kona's in her bed. But, but we love Kona. And every once in a while, let's say her birthday or whatever, I don't know if anyone's ever done this. This is kind of ridiculous. But like for her birthday, I'll try and doctor up something good to eat, right? I'll take the kibble, sometimes put like a, 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 a raw egg on top. She loves this fish oil pills, just the capsules that we're supposed to take for our hearts. She loves them, and I guess they're good for them too. And she just chews them, just chews them right up. Mm. I'm, sure that's not, I'm sure that's not some, some nice salmon. I'm sure that's some squeezed cod oil or something. But... We'll put one of those on top. You know, I'll, I'll kind of doctor it up and have some fun with it. There's some leftover meat to put there in there. And it's still gone in two seconds. As if I, even if I didn't do any of that, it's gone just as fast. She consumes it in a second. And you realize, like, we could have just given you some scraps and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have cared. You didn't taste it. You just, you just engulfed it, right? And there's a difference. If you ever had, like, whatever your favorite meal is, we used to go to this, this one restaurant that, that did this um, balsamic glazed steak. I don't know if you've ever had it before. It almost turns into like glue on top of it, but it's just like so thick. And so, but it's a, it's a little filet with this glaze on top. And if you know this, you're just taking these tiniest, tiniest bites because you, you just want to savor each bite, right? You're not just eating it, you're tasting it. I, I was even looking up this word in, in, in the Hebrew uh, it, it's te'am, te'am. You can go to this little definition here. Te'am. 
It means to experience through the senses, discover by experience, recognize, savor, and enjoy. That's different than just consume. This is not about caloric intake, right? This is, this is about recognizing, savoring, and enjoy. And David says to do this with God, and he promises that it will be good. Right, not just get your get your fill of God. Like you know, you have your breakfast in the morning. Okay, well I got to do my my couple minutes of reading or prayer, or whatever. You know, but he says, no, 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 no. Experience God, savor God. And once again, if he can write that at a time like this, I can write, I can read that, and I can, I can process that. I can taste and see God for myself and find He's good even in my circumstances, which are nowhere near His. To savor something requires an intentional perspective. Right, you have to have the wherewithal to stop and to process what's going on in your life. And I think that we do this through prayer. Um, prayer is not something that comes natural to me, right? Scripture does. I love Scripture. I, I, I enjoy Scripture. Um, prayer is something that, that often when I fall out of it, it feels like working out, where, where you force yourself to go the first couple days, and then eventually you start to enjoy it, and you start to, to lean into it more, and it's something I'm growing in in my own faith. But prayer's, prayer's not something that comes naturally to me. But what I'll say is this. When I force myself to pray in the midst of a situation, I'm entering into this conversation with God in the midst of this issue. I'm not handling this issue by myself. I am asking God to enter into it, and I'm now looking at the same issue with these theological eyes. What does, what, what does this situation mean when I know that there's a good and powerful God? What does this situation mean when I have the hope of Christ and his kingdom to come? I reinterpret it through that spiritual conversation, through the act of prayer. Prayer forces us to see God's role in what's going on in a way that I didn't when I read this, Psalm 21 to 23. I saw our hero getting chased and, and facing unnecessarily, unnecessary trials. And yet David, a man who spoke with God regularly, sees this as God's provision one step at a time. It's incredible what he saw that, that I don't, that I didn't. And that what I often do not, as I'm in my trial, it takes me a couple months later looking back and say, oh yeah, God was there. God did bring the right people together. God brought the right people to encourage me when I needed it. I just didn't have the awareness to pick my head up, to turn to God in prayer and say, and recognize that God was there, to recognize the provision that he had given me. Um, you know, I was talking with my wife, Sarah, and she gave me this illustration that I thought was good, was, was rain. You know, rain complicates things. Uh, rain causes traffic accidents. If you don't have a great roof, rain causes leaks. It causes messes and uh, you know, mud. It, it, it complicates things. Um, but if you know, being a Californian, how much we need it, it allows you to, to see it differently, right? Um, my, my family were in Italy two or three years ago, and we saw these fountains everywhere. If you've ever seen these, um, they're through a lot of Europe. But they just run 24-7. They, they, they just, they're, just, they're just running. Uh, it's obviously a region that doesn't have our water crisis. But it was funny, halfway through the trip, I mentioned this, and my dad said the exact same thing, that every time we walk by, we're like trying to find the nozzle of like, someone needs to turn this off. This is not okay. You know, it's, it's that Southern Californian in us that, that, that this is precious and we have to save it. And, you know. 
But we have that mindset, and so when it is raining and when, it is, when, when the roads are slippery, we say, ooh, but I know this is good for us. That's that awareness. Now, that's, that's small, and that, that's, that's not as, as, as significant as a serious trial in your life, but that's an example of what it looks like to have this awareness that we can turn to God and see him working in the midst of our trial. It's pretty incredible. As we begin our lives, uh, to bring our lives to God in prayer, we begin to savor and taste and see God's goodness and his faithfulness. And just looking back at chapters 21 to 23, God provides everything that David needs. Even more so, in the beginning, he's running by himself. And then without anything of his will, uh, he's surrounded by his family. 400 people, uh, his family and people from their town who took up arms to protect him. Wow, in the midst of my complaining, I don't know if I saw that, but David recognized this. What a gift that was. People willing to go on the run with him, to protect him, to support him. Who has God brought along you in your life in the midst of trials? Did you have the wherewithal, the awareness to recognize the people who God brought around you? In the same way, this is kind of incredible, is every one of these different, you can put that map up again. Every time he ends up in one of these locations, whether in Israel or out of Israel, whether to a priest or whether to a, a Moabite king or the Philistines even, everyone acknowledges him as the future king of Israel. Once again, I didn't see that in my first reading. I saw him running for his life. But that's incredible. As he's in the situation where the current king is trying to kill him, he is getting affirmation after affirmation from even people who want to see Israel destroyed, saying, you, David, son of Jesse, the one who will be the king of Israel one day. That, that gift of provision that God gives him to encourage him and give him these affirmations. And he gets them from two foreign kings. He, and most significant of all, he gets it from Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan is heir to the throne. And, and listen to what happens as he's running, as David's running in these chapters. At one moment, Jonathan goes out by himself and finds David. Verse 16 of chapter 23, it says, Saul's son Jonathan set out and came to David at Horesh. There he strengthened his hand through the Lord. He encouraged David. He said to him, do not be afraid, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be second to you. My father Saul also knows this to be so. This is the, this is the, the person who by law should, should claim the throne. And he says, no, it'll be you. You will be king, and I'm going to serve you. And you know what? Even my father Saul, who's trying to kill you, he knows this too. He's so overcome with, with, with uh, paranoia uh, and, and trying to seize what little power he has left. He won't accept it, but he knows that you're the future king as well. That is a gift that David receives as he's running and hiding if you have the awareness to pick your head up and to see it. So that's my question for us is do we, do you have the awareness to see God at work in the presence of your trials, in the midst of your situation? And I believe the key to that is prayer. It is forcing yourself to come to the table and enter God into that conversation with what's going on. We are uh, people who value independence and self-sufficiency, and that's good. Except when it comes to our faith. It's an important thing for us to be able to turn to God 
and say, God, what are you doing in this? Because it looks bleak to me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that we might develop David's appetite. Lord, he tasted and savored you. He came to know you as almighty and powerful and good and present, even in the midst of his worst trials. Lord, I pray that we can see your presence as well. Not just when things are good, not just when we happen to think of you, Lord, but that we, through prayer, keep you at the forefront of our minds. That through prayer, we, we are mindful of you in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a good day and a bad day, Lord, and that we can see what acts of provision you have given to us. Father, be with us. Let us learn from David's example. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand for uh, last song of worship?